Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, August the 29th, 2012, and this is episode 970 of the Survival Podcast. Uh, today I've got kind of a, a mini two-parter for you. I'm going to start out with a little bit... Uh, today about the 401k issue that I've been talking about, um, just a little bit on it. Basically, I'm going to ask for some help. I'll get to that in a minute. And then I'm going to talk just a little bit about storm prep for those of us that are in the path of this hurricane, but we're not going to see it for a day or two, and it's going to be like a big tropical depression when it hits us, specifically what I'm doing because I've been asked a lot because right now the storm track is basically – The eye of this storm sitting on top of my house in about another day uh, to day and a half. Uh, somewhere around there. Actually, Friday, so two days. Uh, they, just, they should be just sitting dead over uh, my house. And I'll be here. My wife won't. She's going to be down in Texas, you know. And uh, so I'll be here alone with the dogs. And uh, what am I going to do? So I'll tell you about that. Before I do, though, uh, oh, one more thing. And then, of course, we have our special guest today, uh, who's a really awesome person named Mill Apostle who's going to talk to us about beekeeping. And those of you that are beekeepers that use Landstrom hives, that's what this person uses. So just because the first two beekeeping people I had on were top bar people doesn't mean I have anything against, let's say, conventional hives. So she's going to talk to us about using conventional hives but doing natural beekeeping. So we'll have her on after we uh, wrap up these two little mini segments to get kicked off with. Before we do any of that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do an awful lot to help take care of you by helping to make sure this show's here for you five days a week, Monday through Friday, for about an hour a day. Sponsor of the day number one today, silverandgoldshop.com. Hey, silverandgoldshop.com is awesome. And guess what? If you're a member support brigade member on their generic silver rounds, you now get 50 cents off a coin. That might not sound like a lot, but in the world of silver and gold, any discount's a big discount. So razor-thin margin business that the brokers uh, are participating in. But you need silver and gold in your portfolio. Uh, there's only one future for this nation overall economically, and it ain't good. And that is a reset button. At some point, we're going to have to accept the fact that we've printed too much money, we've printed too much debt, and that we're never going to be able to crap $16 to $20 trillion. And somewhere in that range is probably when they'll figure this out. Uh, maybe they'll be up to $24, $26 trillion. Who knows? But it's running away. It's hockey sticking. And when that happens, silver and gold are an insurance policy against the devaluation of the currency. So make sure they're part of what you're doing. A great place to check out and learn more about how to do that, silverandgoldshop.com. Next up today, shelfreliance.com. Notice I said shelfreliance, not self-reliance. And that's because we're talking about shelves here. Shelfreliance specializes in innovative food storage solutions that allow you to eat what you store and store what you eat. They do this by using a rack system very similar to what you'd see in a commercial grocery store where cans go in the top and come out the bottom. You can adjust them to fit any size can you want from them little bitty ones for tomato paste to great big giant number 10 cans like your mountain house providing pantry and just big giant cans of vegetables from, you know, Sam's Club or, or, or uh, what's their Costco come from. So it'll do anything like that. And again, this convenient rotation and it holds a ton of food. Literally, the Harvest 72 holds so much food you won't believe it. But the other thing they also, and I mentioned some of these other long-term storage food companies, and they're great. They do have some great products. But if you want variety and you want quality of taste, you've got to check out Thrive. The Thrive brand of long-term storage food available in little cans are great big ones, so you can try them first and see if you really like them. Thrive is long-term storage food that will sit there for 25 years, but you'd be happy to eat it tomorrow morning as part of your breakfast or tomorrow evening as part of your dinner. Check them out. Give some of their different varieties a try. Figure out the ones you and your family enjoy and make them part of your long-term storage. That way, if you're ever relying on them, you'll be familiar with the food. Again, ShelfReliance.com for your Thrive brand of food and your innovative food storage solutions, such as the Harvest 72 and the Consolidator Series. Check them out today. All right. Next up, remember, check out TSP Copper. I have awesome copper coins available for you there. Survival Podcast coins, Second Amendment coins, Ron Paul coins. And, hey, we're talking about bees today. We have a Honeypot coin. Globe and Gears coin, John Gall coin, you name it, we've got it. Check them out. Remember, the price is per roll, not per coin. Some few people have been confused about that in the past. 
Members, brigade members, go to your brigade uh, back area first. You get 10% off all your copper purchases on tspcopper.com. Uh, members Brigade, I'll leave go today. You guys know about it. If you don't listen to the episode yesterday or the one tomorrow, or click on members. And remember, if you are military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, prior service, email me first. I'll give you a discount because I want to get into this. Uh, first, uh, once again, I want to remind you guys about Hickory, North Carolina, September 14th and 15th. Please come if you can. That's one last little bit of housekeeping there. And there'll be a link about that in today's show notes and pretty much all the show notes leading up over the last month have had a link to the announcement about that. Uh, I do have a meet and greet we're putting together early in the morning uh, so you guys can get in early. Uh, I'm looking at some different people to try to bring in as guests. I'll have an answer for you this week. By Friday, there'll be a, a list of who's going to be there published for you. And we will be doing an after-hours thing on Friday and Saturday, both, where people can come have beers together, just hang out and talk, meet me and meet each other. Uh, and I may do something on Saturday suggested by one listener. I may do like like a mid-afternoon break, like 2 o'clock, run somewhere, grab a burger, grab a couple beers. Anybody will be welcome to come along with that, but it'll be more of a smaller group than the later in the night thing. All right, um, let's move on to something else. Earlier this week, I talked to you guys about 401Ks and the Fed using leverage through various agencies to try to force money market funds into holding larger reserves, more acting like a traditional bank, and with those reserves mainly held in U.S. Treasury debt. That I can verify. But the other thing I talked about, and this is very important, I need somebody that's like a financial analyst type person here, okay? Uh, and I just need one, because it's not that much data, but I know if I take the project on myself, it's going to be forever before I get it done, and I might be biased. I need an, a non-biased person to, do, to analyze this. I've had plenty of you people send me, okay, I have a 401k, they don't have a cash or money market option. I've had a few say we do, and it's good to see some still do. I'm really looking for the ones that don't have it. And I want to know what the safest funds are in there. What is the place, you know, if you say, we're, you know, call your financial, you know, I've been told this, first of all, you ask the HR person, well, what's our safe fund in here? And they go, well, we're not allowed to give advice. Okay, you're allowed to choose the freaking plan, but not give advice about it. That's great. Say, okay, who's our plan administrator? Who, you know, at Fidelity or at Jones or whatever, and call that guy up and say, hey, look, I have this 401k plan. Here's all my options. I don't want to be told not to worry about it. I just want to know what is the safest uh, fund for my money, the one with the least risk of loss. If I want to safe harbor my money for the next six months and move it inside the plan, where do I put it? Find out what that fund is. Send me the information on the fund or the ticker symbol because here's what I've learned. Some of these funds are called stuff like a safe value fund. And these, these funds are available only inside these investment vehicles. If you are not a plan member, you can't even get information about them. So if you, if he tells you that, then you say, I need to know what this fund holds. Send me the data. A lot of you have done that. I'd love if more people would send me the data. I am cursory running through them, finding large amounts of U.S. treasuries and U.S. municipal municipal debt, just like I thought I would. What I would like the help of a financial person to do is, I'd like to send all this to you, and yes, pretty much I'm dumping it on you. I'm just going to like, every one forward to, you know, Joe at FinancialGenius.com or whatever your email is. And as they keep coming, I'll keep forwarding to it. Over about a week, I'd like you to try to perform a breakdown for me that simply says, of the, of the plans with no real cash protection option, when we average them out across, you know, 50 different people sending us information, X percent goes to U.S. short-term bonds, X percent to long-term bonds, X percent to U.S. municipal debt, And if there were more like a true cash fund, how much of that would they be holding? And then let's try to analyze. And you know, if you could do that for me, that's enough. Because then what I want to say is, if we look at how much you know money is out there, how much money did this move, and will how much money will this continue to move into U.S. debt? Because what I think is this is a backdoor way of nationalizing 401ks. If that made anybody over there out there glass over, go listen to Monday's show. And you'll understand how important this is. But what I'm really asking for in this segment today is just one or two, you know, I can send it to two people and whoever gets done first or whatever. But really, whoever says, I, I get an email from first and they'll hold other people in reserve if that person, you know, decides they can't do it or something. Just one person, somebody that's like a CFA, Chartered Financial Analyst, I have to tell you you're not one, or someone that has a long history of financial planning or something like that, that would be willing to take this on in an unbiased way so that the data you give me back is pure. So, Because I want to publish this. 
I want to go forward with this and say to the American people, this is what's happened to you. I want to do it in an article, I want to do it in a show, and I probably want to do it with some graphs and charts and a YouTube video and make a big push out of this. But only if it's valid. It's very important to me that I'm not jumping the gun on this because I want to be the guy that breaks it. I think that's very sad when people do that. Um, and, you know, I want to give due credit to get into a girl culture on the blog who made a quick little comment about this in the blog, and I went, ha, and all the lights went on. I want to make sure those lights are going on for the right reasons. So if I get someone to help me, that would be great. Those of you that have 401ks that can get me data, please continue to do so. The data you've sent in so far looks to validate things, but I want to be sure. I want to be sure when we go, well, what was the cash fund and how much debt were they holding? That, that, that There really is a difference. To be sure. Okay, right. All right, now, the next thing is on the uh, the hurricane. So I, I don't want anybody to take this over dramatic because I'm not being over dramatic about this, and I'm not that worried, and I'm going to get into the, the things that I'm doing for storm prep. But just to, to kind of drive the point home, I'm sitting on weather.com right now, and I'm looking at the current estimated storm track for Isaac. And it, it at this point, it looks pretty clear what's going to happen, and the models of, were all spaghetti last night are kind of you know conjoined now. And basically, this thing is going to go right diagonal across uh, Louisiana. Of course, this could change, but this is the way it looks right now. It, is it, it does that. It's going to turn north by northeast, come up through Arkansas. It should be in the center of Missouri on September 1st uh, with winds of about 25 miles per hour. Uh, I skipped over myself for a reason. Illinois, you guys should see it dead center, the state of Illinois. Winds down to about 15 miles an hour on September 2nd. And then this thing is going to cross through Louisiana, uh, Indiana. And uh, September 3rd, winds down to like 15 miles an hour. And this is going to be a big rainmaker all the way up. Uh, and, and at that point, it kind of peters out. They stop tracking it. It's just storms at that point instead of a tropical depression. Um, but Friday the 31st, I'm sitting on a dot that's projecting where Isaac is supposed to be. August 31st, 2012, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Wind speed sustained at 30 miles per hour. Ground speed 10 miles an hour. Location on top of my house. And it, it pretty much, if I zoom in on the map, on a satellite view, the dot literally is covering where I live. And so am I freaking out? No, because this is going to be a 30-mile-an-hour windstorm, tropical depression, rainmaker when it gets to where I'm at. The biggest threats that we have would be, in descending order, high straight-line winds with gusts and microbursts, which we just experienced and knocked our power out for the better part of five days, um, and damaged downtown hot springs extensively from a typical summer thunderstorm. Uh, the next one would probably be tornadic activity, which we're pretty much concerned about from March through most of June as a matter of course. Every time there's a storm, there's a tornadic threat. With tropical storms, tropical depressions, generally speaking, in my personal experience, there's less of a tornado threat than just a big thunderstorm that builds up and comes across and hits a dry line moving you know, west to east across this part of the United States. So while I'm not, not worried about tornadoes, it's not any bigger of a threat than a typical summer. Um, hail a little bit, but not so much. These aren't generally these big, high, giant thunderstorms with this mix. They're generally... A, a full system moving through, and they're relatively stable, which is why you have less hail and less tornadoes. It's not that they don't happen. They're just not the same as when you have these big storm fronts moving across and hitting these different systems as they go, stable and unstable atmosphere as they move from one point to the other. Um, the other would be flooding. And flooding is actually probably at the top of the list. Flooding is probably the biggest threat that this storm has for me where I'm at. But for me personally, I plan to basically record the show for Friday, tomorrow, uh, to set it up so I can publish it from home on Friday. And I have no intention of driving into the office on Friday. That's just a stupid risk that I don't need to take. I believe that Friday morning I could drive into this office and I would have no problem whatsoever. Going home might not be good, and my dogs being left outside during this type of weather event is not really good to do to them either. Where I live, I am not worried about flooding. 
If where I live, I am flooded, then we are all screwed. Look for Noah and an ark, because I am about 900 feet higher than the downtown area that's closest to me. So that means I need about 900 feet of water to, to effectively flood where I'm at. Uh, it's not that we don't get, you know, big downflows and possible washouts and things, and on some of the other parts of the mountain it's there, but where I'm located on this ridge line, watersheds go off, I would still need to, to get... To flood my house, we'd have to get somewhere in the order of 30 inches of continuous rainfall based on my estimate. So I'm not personally worried about flooding. So what am I worried about? I'm worried about the power going out. I'm worried about the storm doing damage to the home, which I think will be mitigated by being sheltered in the mountains the way I am, which is part of why I picked it in the first place in that location. Uh, I'm worried about flooding and wind and damage causing systems of support to become unavailable for some portion of time, stores to be closed and things like that. So what am I doing to prepare? The answer is not much. The answer is not much at all because as a prepper, something like this is why you're prepared in the first place and there's not a lot to do. There is kind of a pre-event checklist. You have the time, you might as well do it. So one of the things I've already done, I've gone into my outbuilding, I've got out my box of extension cords and adapters that you would run off the generator. I've left the generator in there. There's no reason to bring it outside. It's just going to get drenched in the downpour. You can't bring it out and run it until the rain stops anyway. But all the cords and everything are already in the house. Um, I already have you know, checked out to make sure that my... Uh, My inverter's working well, so at least I can, you know, keep the refrigerator and freezer, you know, cool, a la Stephen Harris, because I can run the car while it's raining until I get a chance to run uh, the generator. And the other thing I can run is a fan. That was something Stephen left out of his presentation, and since he takes so much time and puts together so much information, I try not to add to what he has to say, because then he'll be on the show for like three hours every time he's on. But I think that's a big thing that you guys should add. If you're relying on things like a, an inverter in your vehicle, the way Steven taught, uh, for storm outages, is a couple of cheap box fans. They draw very low wattage, and just being able to sit in front of a fan until you can turn up your generator is great in the south where it's hot. Um, generally, while it's raining, it's not that hot, uh, but it does get humid and sticky. I was working in the garden the other day. It was rather pleasant for this time of year. And it was hot, but not too hot. It rained for 15 minutes. I worked right through the rain. The rain was beautiful. And as soon as the rain stopped, it was hard to breathe. And I was like, I have had enough of this crap. And I went inside. So there is that sticky humidity that the rain will bring with it as well. So that would be a good way to help keep that moisture off your body. So that's what I'm doing. Some other things I'm doing, you know, went through all the gas, made sure it's all, you know, all our gas cans are stored up, found we do have one empty gas can. So that's in the back of the truck. I'll fill that today. Um, checked our batteries, made sure all our rechargeable batteries have been charged. Uh, in fact, put them through the charger whether they needed it or not. And then took uh, the battery, you know, the last batch is sitting in there, you know, topping off right now. Uh, a couple of marine batteries that we keep around for backup power, uh, charge those up. One's already, you know, been topped off. The other one's sitting at home right now with the battery charger attached to it. So I have two uh, batteries that I can use in addition to the batteries that are in the vehicles. That's it. You know, make sure that all our water jugs are full and all our water storage is full. It is. Make sure everything's hooked up for the water catchment so that when we get all this rain, we're catching water as well. It is. There, you know, make sure the well pump house is closed up well, you know, nice and the, 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 the latch is on it so the door doesn't open. We don't get that blown over. Um, open up the doors and windows in the greenhouse so that the air can pass through instead of push against it. Uh, that's it. I mean, it's, it, it's typical storm prep for me. But I think that it's something that most people that are more than a few miles from the coast are probably not doing right now. So those of you that are up there in Missouri thinking, well, it's not going to be here till September 1st, and it's only going to be 25-mile-an-hour winds when it gets here, and we get gusts like that all the time. There's a difference between a sustained 25-mile-an-hour wind and there's a difference between a gusting 25-mile-an-hour wind. When the wind remains constant for that duration of time, it can do more damage. I also want to point out the biggest threat this storm has is flooding. And the biggest problem we have with the storm right now is it's moving so damn slow. Uh, again, it's right now moving at six miles an hour. When it's well into Louisiana, it's, it's being pro projected to move at 10 miles an hour. These slow-moving tropical storm, tropical, de tropical depressions are a problem because they bring so much rain. We're expecting somewhere between four to eight inches of rain. And it actually looks like this storm is going to, like I said, pass right over my house, which means people in Little Rock, 
are going to be on the east side, which is the biggest rainmaker. So those of you in this pathway all the way up into Illinois and Indiana, I don't want you to think that you have anything to worry about like the people with the storm surge and initial high winds are dealing with right now on the coast because you don't. But I don't want you to think, oh, this is just no big deal. Make sure your basic preps are in order because it's likely that you're going to need them. And I, I bet you, all the way up that far north, if you wait until the day before it comes and you go to the store, don't be surprised if some things that you would expect to be able to pick up aren't there. Because people will panic even though they don't need to. Fill up on your, fill your gas tank today, right? So that's what I would do except I filled it yesterday, right? And, you know, I'll take the other truck tomorrow and, and, and fill it. Uh, you know, I mean, just make sure you have these basic things done. Go over your blackout kit. Make sure all your flat, if you have like 10 flashlights in a blackout kit like we do, Turn them all on. Make sure they all work. Check the batteries. Make sure they're not corroding. You should be doing that regular anyway, but this is a good excuse to do it. Um, and all of you that are not in the path of the storm, hey, pretend you are and do a little you know, preventive maintenance checks and services on your preps. Ask yourself, if this thing was going to hit us with 25-mile-an-hour winds, not the end of the world, but potential tornadoes, potential hail, potential damage, potential flooding, would we be prepared? And what would we need to do? And then do it even though you're not in the pathway. It's a good drill. All right, with that wrapped up, let's go ahead and get to the main topic of our today of today's show, which is natural beekeeping and doing it with what we call conventional Lenstrom hives. And our guest today is Mill Apostle. She's been keeping bees in her backyard since 2008 when she got her first hive. And there's kind of a story behind that first hive that we'll talk to her about. She studied with master beekeeper Serge Lebeski. And she keeps her hives chemical free. She believes in learning from local wild bees about how to better, how to be a better beekeeper. She has an organic garden. She's worked as a chef for many years. And she's also an avid forager of wild foods. And with that, hey Mill, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey Jack, thanks for inviting me onto the show. Hey, so I, I was, we were chatting a little bit off air before we got started. I'm like really happy to have you on today because we're going to talk about beekeeping. Uh, with more of the, the conventional highs, with some modifications that you do. But I, I think in the past, maybe people got the idea that, like, I was, like, only top bar is the way to go. And just, man, we got, like, 12 of you folks when I said, bring some beekeepers on, and <laughs> that was looking to draw. So I'm glad to have you today. But I wanted to start out with a really basic question mm -hmm. for you. Like, if somebody's, like, going, I want to keep bees, but I really don't have any idea what the hell I'm doing – How does a person get started going from not having bees to having this big box of stinging insects in their backyard? <laughs> well, okay, I'm going to tell you this because this is what I did. I did not get a mentor. I just got this box come to my house because we were doing this Your Backyard is Ugly show. We were filming a show for HDTV, and so they asked, hey, do you want bees? And so I said, yeah, yeah, bring, bring the bees on, and, but I didn't, even, I didn't do any preparation. So that's what I don't recommend. You know, I, I say get a mentor, get a local mentor because, you know, they're more familiar with your, you know, your weather, you know, what, what, uh, what flowers are here, what kind of forage is, you know, or is, um, in this area. And, you know, it's just, just the easiest way to go because let me tell you, it's hard to do it without a mentor. I mean, we made all kinds of mistakes. Um, We had some bees die because we didn't know what we were doing. I mean, we did, like, <laughs> really dumb things. So, yeah, get a local mentor. I mean, go on to um, a beekeeping forum. Go to your farmer's market. If there's someone selling honey there, ask them uh, or ask them if they know anyone in this area. I would start with a mentor, absolutely. Okay, very cool. And I think a lot of people would agree with that. Now, tell me a little bit about this, your backyard is ugly thing. What did you have to <laughs> Are you like one of these people that's walking around like a home improvement store and some guy from a network says like, hey, we'll fix your backyard if you, I mean, what are you talking about there? Well, okay, well, first our front yard was ugly, so okay. we got someone to um, design it, so we have like mosaics and stuff, but we wanted an edible, we wanted an edible front yard. And so this designer that, that subsequently, subsequently got kicked off the show Um, was asked by um, this this uh, TV show if she would be on it, and she asked us to be the clients. And so we had this really ugly backyard. I mean, it was just full of scrub and all these 
Himalayan blackberries, and we didn't go back there. We didn't use it. So um, we had this show on HGTV, and since I'm a chef, you know, and I was, we were the green show. We were the organic show. So, of course, we had to have bees. We had to have bees uh, rounded out. So that's how we, <laughs> okay. we had that show. <laughs> okay, cool. So when, you know, obviously you didn't have that turn, they showed up with a box of bees and said, here you go, here's your bees. <laughs> but when, so you didn't have any equipment or anything, but what gear would you say a person needs to invest in, like, straight away to make sure they kind of get off to a better start? Oh, absolutely. The veil, you know, that head covering, absolutely get a veil, get gloves. So then, you know, if you feel like you're covered and you're protected because you'll be afraid, you'll be afraid of stinging insects, you know, initially. If you feel um, protected, you'll feel more relaxed and then you'll be able to concentrate more on what you're learning with the bees. So, okay, so the veil, the gloves, a hive tool, you know, that kind of pry bar kind of looking thing and uh, a smoker, uh, which, you know, they pump that smoke out to help calm the bees so those are like the four pieces of equipment that I would that I would absolutely have when when I when you start. Would you say like going like maybe to another level with like the jacket and stuff like that is probably a good thing for some people? Oh, oh yeah, I should have mentioned that. Yeah, they should get a jacket because bees are amazing. I mean, w- w- my partner had a hole in 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 her jeans and and she said, "Oh, the bees are not going to get in there. The bees are not going to get in there. They're not going to find it." They found it. <laughs> they found it. They found a small hole in the knee, and she got stung. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, absolutely. Some kind of covering, some kind of some kind of bee jacket. Um, although um, I have gotten, they're not 100%. I have gotten stung through a, a bee suit. So I recommend, like, wearing a long sleeve T-shirt and maybe some sweats underneath because okay. uh, they could sting you through that. I've been stung through the bee suit. I think I've been told by most beekeepers that bee suits are not to keep you from being stung, but keep, keep you from being stung a lot. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The the woman that we had bought the uh, the our first beehive from, she said that um, she was out in her bee yard with some friend or her brother or something, something, and uh, he had a bee suit on, fortunately, but he got stung like three hundred times. And oh wow! It, yeah, if, and some people can die from that. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Exactly. I mean, you'll you'll take the suit off and you'll have all these stings stuck in it. Sort of amazing to see that, you know. Yeah. So, what what kind of cost are we looking at then like to go from, you know, a backyard without bees to a backyard with bees and 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 being able to reasonably extract honey, take care of our bees, not have our whole colony die on us and and that type of thing. Uh I can't promise that it's going to be cheap. Um because if you can, if you can, if you're good at woodworking, if you could build hives, that would, you know, alleviate a lot of the cost. Um, but when we bought the first hive, um, it was two hundred dollars. But that was with the the hive body itself and the bees. I see now people buying bees just for the bees. It's it's two hundred dollars. So, um, God, let's see. The equipment, I would say maybe three hundred dollars, three hundred dollars okay. for bees and the the basic equipment and the hiveware and stuff like that. Yeah, it's not cheap. And then if you want to extract, if you want to buy an extractor, we bought uh, an extracting kit from one of the I call them the big box bee stores, and it's it was just the the extractor that spinning thing. It 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 we could put three in them three frames in the extractor and it comes with like a a knife you know to cut open the the frames and a box to collect all that wax that you have left over and it was almost five hundred dollars for the kit oh wow i had no idea it was that expensive and i guess that's going to be fair to the the other folks that when they say it's less expensive to do top bar beekeeping that's one of the things that they have on their side, they basically there's the cone and the honey's with the comb, and there it is. And there's not this uh, extraction that you guys have to do with with a Landstrom hive. Yeah, they they do more like the crush and strain, and we did that initially. We would take the comb out and crush it and strain it, but it I mean, it took a long time. <laughs> 
for the sure. to drip out, you know. And with with our method that we do, I could we I just extracted eight gallons of honey, and it took a day's worth of work. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, and that's with your equipment. Yes, that's with my equipment. Yeah. So like, was that like a day of like you working, or like you set something up and it it, it takes that long for it to finish? Uh, it was me, me and my partner working, and we had to. It was basically we had to go out, we had to go into the hives, we had to pull the comb, we had to check them and see if the honey was ready. I mean, okay. if we saw like like you know the bee babies in it, we would not take that frame. So we had to make sure it was just 100% honey and that the honey was ready to go. Because if you take honey that's not capped, which is not ready to go, you could ruin your batch of honey. It okay. could, could ferment. So we had to pull the right ones out, and then I we had to take the bees off of them, you know, because they're not going to want to let their honey go. Sure. And then, like, <clears throat> and then we had to bring it into the house, and we had to <clears throat> Cut open the frame to let the the honey um, come out. Put it in the extractor, spin it, strain it, and then uh, bottle it. And then we took we took the uh, frames, the used frames, and we gave it back to the bees. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So that's like a gallon an hour. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, yeah. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. I mean, that's not. I mean, profit wise, that's probably not very worth my time. But the the honey, the the taste is. That's that's what's worth it. Yeah, raw honey and and store bought honey are just like they're not the same thing. It's like comparing like I don't know GMO corn to freshly grown backyard <laughs> silver queen corn. Oh. It just doesn't. It, it, there's no way they possibly compare. So how much work is really involved with beekeeping over the course of a year? Not just like okay, so now we're like at a gallon an hour of extraction. You know, so like if I have a couple hives in my backyard, how much work am I really going to do, or do the bees do most of the work other than when it's time to do basic maintenance? Well, the bees do mo- most of the work, but in the spring when they're building up, you know, they're doing the, their their population is building up, they're bringing in more nectar. You're watching them to you know see if they're doing well. There's more work to be done in the spring, and then like you know in the summer when you when you harvest the honey, there's the work there. And then, like, in the fall, late fall, that's when I close up I close up the hives to get them ready for winter. Um, then there's some time there because you have to rearrange all the boxes and see what they're doing. So there's, like, these chunks. There's these chunks, you know, in certain times of season where you're going to have, like, an intense period of work with the bees. But, like, right now, you know, I'm not – I'm almost done harvesting. I don't really have that much going on with them right now. They're just happily buzzing in and out of the hives. I don't know that. Is that a good answer? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's what I said. So there's like some basic maintenance. There's you know when you want to extract, and then there's you know there's the most of the time the bees are doing their own thing, and, and that leads me to kind of a very interesting question that I, I've never heard anybody ask before. Uh huh. But I've had people start to ask me this lately. What if I don't give a damn about honey? What if what if I just want to give bees a place to live? Is there a danger if you have a hive and you don't extract? If you just leave them to themselves? That's that's funny because I've been talking to all these bee you know want to be beekeepers too, and they are telling me I I'm not interested in the honey. I just want to you know provide a home for bees. And there's this uh, beekeeper in L.A. Um, Kirk Anderson, and he does this thing called backwards beekeeping he says he only checks the hives two times a year wow you know if they swarm he lets them swarm you know Hmm. he just checks them in i think january and in the summer takes honey but some people do that i mean there's been some talk i heard someone in london contacted me and um they were saying that oh there's all these new beekeepers coming in and they don't know what they're doing, and all their hives are swarming. That's why we're having all these swarms. I mean, I suppose if you did that in the country, that would probably be okay. You know, they'd yeah. probably find a place to live, but I, w- I don't know if I'd recommend that for, like, an urban area. So now, but is there is there two different things going on there? I mean, one is extracting honey, and the other is, you know, controlling a swarm. Mm, yeah, yeah, you know, because 
it's funny. I, I think that, oh, people are enlightened about bees and they love bees and they understand, you know, that their numbers are, you know, dwindling and they're, they'll let me keep um, hives. But still people have this, you know, notion, oh, I don't want bees around. I'm, I'm afraid they're, they're sure. going to sting me. So, yeah. Well, they're around anyway, and in, yeah. in my experience is an area with few bees will have like a obsolete number of wasps, which seem to be oh, a little wow. less friendly, you know, like because we don't have a lot of bees up on the mountain that I live, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and since we're going to be moving, I have decided, like in my wife's words of wisdom, you don't need any more stuff until we move. <laughs> yeah. But we have. Like so, like if there's a, a a a vacancy in nature, like nature's going to fill it with something. So we have tons of potters wasps, we have tons of red wasps, and we have a lot of uh, bumblebees. We don't have honeybees. We have the big black and yellow bumbles. So when people say, "Well, I don't want bees around," if there's if there's pollinating plants, there's going to be pollinators, and most of them are equipped with some method of defense. And I just yeah, I guess I don't get that because I grew up where our lawns were just full of white clover, and there were oh. and there was always bees when you when you have a white clover lawn. So, uh-huh. but yeah, I hear what you're saying there. But I mean, I guess my point is like when people first ask me, I'm like, well, what the hell do you mean you don't want honey? And then one of the guys said, well, don't like orchard owners pay people to bring their bees in there, and they don't want honey; they just want pollination. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, you know, that makes sense. But I, you know, my concern is like if you're setting bees up in this like, designed to be harvested house, like, there's probably maintenance that needs to go on where if they were just in mm-hmm. a tree and swarming whenever they want, that it yeah. doesn't need to go on. It seems like that there is at least some level of maintenance that should be done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was in Hawaii, and someone showed me this hive on the big island, and no one had done anything with it, you know, and it was starting to fall apart. But they have a really, you know, big problem now with varroa mites and small hive beetles, and it's like, is that hive that no one is watching, is that going to be a vector for disease? I mean, that's another thing you have to think about, too, you know, mm-hmm. like pests getting in there, and if you don't pay attention to it, is it going to, they could spread, they could spread that. I mean, supposedly, like, you know, the drone bees, the male bees, supposedly drones can go into any hive that, you know, the guard bees will let any drones come in, so. Really? Yeah, that's what I've, I've heard. I've never heard that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, you could spread you could spread a disease that way. So, you know, I just believe in, like, you know, maintaining and watching and stuff like that. Cool. So, now, the other thing I decided this, though, is you are, uh, I would call it, natural beekeeper. Uh, yes. Right? Because yes. just you use a different kind of hive doesn't mean you're not natural. You use no chemicals. Nope. Uh, nothing like that. So, uh, one of the things that I've often heard the... Uh, Top bar people kind of like be really proud of this is that fact and but you're able to do this with with conventional hives so how does that work? Well, it's funny. It's funny. People equate Langstroth hives with you know conventional beekeeping and and chemicals and they just think it can't be done. That's a it's a funny it's funny to me how people just think it can't be done. But <clears throat> my beekeeping teacher, um, Serge Lebesque. He's been keeping bees for almost 20 years. He he doesn't use chemicals. And um, he's into, like, watching bees and observing bees and making adjustments that way, you know. So on my hives, I have these three extra pieces that he recommends. And um, I have something called, a, it's named after him, Serge-style hive top feeder, um, which it's not it's not just for feeding. It it the top, the the ceiling, if if you will, it it um, because the bees keep the temperature of a hive, you know, close to like a hundred, you know, for all the the babies, the, the uh, condensation moisture can build up and it it could um, drip on them. And I've seen pictures of people's hives and they they have mold, they have mold in their on their on their hives, and and so I don't have that because I have this this um, hive top feeder to catch all the drips. And then I have these things called follower boards. Um, Lang- a usual Langstroth hive holds like 10 of those frames. I'm afraid I don't want to be all technical and have people and then lose people, but um, they'll hold those 10 frames, those, those uh, things that people have seen that hold the honey. I only put eight frames in because I have these boards that go on the sides so it's like an extra insulation um, for the bees. 
So if water comes in, you know, through the, the gaps between the hive bodies, it will, it will go between those boards and the, uh, hive body wall and not go onto the bees. And then I have another piece, um, it's called a ventilation board that I put on top of my hive top feeder. And it has a, a notch cut into the back, which lets like warm air go up and out the back of my hive. So I've not had a problem with, um, Moisture, I've not had a pro, and you know, it keeps the bees comfortable, so, you know, their defenses are, you know, stronger. And, yeah, I, I mean, I have mites, but I don't have an inordinate amount of mites. I, I believe, I, I don't believe in, like, eradicating mites. I don't think that's possible. I would rather my bees have a, a, a defense system that can deal with mites, that they could coexist with mites but not be affected. That's, that's, that's the way I keep bees. Yeah, I mean, it's very permaculture-minded because, mm-hmm. you know, my wife is always trying to eliminate things around my garden because they're <laughs> quote-unquote weeds. I'm like, leave, you can cut it and throw it on top of the bed, but don't pull it out of the ground. Leave it alone. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. you're going to disturb the soil. So, like, everything in nature has a function exactly and a purpose and whether we want to accept it or not a mite that, it, that bothers a bee or a flea that bothers a dog has a purpose as well yeah i believe that they're they're here for some reason i mean um excuse me <coughs> <coughs> no worries i understand yeah, I had I had that flu thing that was going around, and I haven't been, I haven't been sick in three years. <coughs> you need some more bee pollen. <laughs> I've been eating tons of honey. Um, yeah, I just think there's some reason. Okay, shall I do it again? Okay, I just think there's some reason why we have these um, these pests. I mean, what were we doing? What were we doing with beekeeping before? You know, we have to change. We have to think about, I mean, just like gardening, right? I mean, everyone was using all these chemicals and thinking that was the, you know, the greatest thing ever. And it's not. I mean, we're killing our topsoil. So what are we doing with bees? Because we were thinking about bees in that sort of like conventional farming system, you know? So I think it's just a, a wake up call for us. I mean, it's funny. I was talking to this beekeeper. And he's, he's, he says, I'm an organic gardener. I don't use chemicals. But then he was talking about using all these chemicals in his hive. And I, it, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that he was doing that. And I, I wondered what the disconnect was. And I emailed him. I said, how do you reconcile using these chemicals in your hives but not in your garden? It's, it's just a funny mindset. I think we have to change it. It is weird, too, how some people just don't like see those connections like you know i'm going to do everything absolutely purist here and then i'm going to go over here and do things in a more conventional if you want to call it that manner yeah but it's it was so weird because he just didn't see it he just didn't see what he was he didn't realize what he was saying yeah i I guess you know you take a dog to the vet and get a rabies shot which i think is an intelligent thing to do and Uh you treat an animal different than you know and it's certainly an insect maybe different than a than your garden but in that aspect, I mean, I kind of look at it this way. Like, bees have been, like, doing their thing long before a human being mm-hmm. ever made a footprint on the planet. Mm-hmm. And they kind of got it figured out long before we came along. Mm-hmm. So they can they can handle themselves now if we'll let them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, there's there's this – it's funny. There's this uh, beehive that's been living in this telephone pole by me, and they've been there for 10 years. I mean – They've been thriving. I mean, someone was, has been like harassing them lately, but they've been thriving in a telephone pole for 10 years. No one has helped them. No one has, you know, given them any chemicals. No one's fed them, and they're still there. Yeah, I was watching a show, one of these, like, you know, Billy the Exterminator or something like that, where they were going to relocate <laughs> these bees. Oh. And, and this, this family, I just felt like, are you guys, like, missing some brain cells or something because it was like this urgent thing that they removed these bees from this um like a pillar outside of the house oh. and uh because one of the people in the family was allergic but they'd been there 10 years and you know it's tv so they hype everything yeah. so the girl's inside looking out the window in terror that a bee's going to get her because she's allergic. I'm like, just leave while they do this if it's that big a deal but, w- but when they when they took this thing apart 
the amount of comb, the amount of honey, wow. the amount of bees that were in here was amazing. But tell us a little more about this, Paul, because I was on your blog and I looked at that. Like somebody put up like a, a piece of metal to protect the bees or oh, something? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, someone, someone had been like throwing – there was like a pile of rocks and sticks. They were stuffing an um, old umbrella into the hive and they were like prying it. They were like prying at the wood on this telephone pole trying to get access inside to the hive, which they did. And they were like sticking sticks in there and like, um, like damaging the hive. And, and, and they're sort of creating a hazard because it's like, how about if those bees got really pissed off and decided, I'm just going to sting whoever. And this is next to a sidewalk. You know, that's, that's, that's bad, you know, cause they've been, they've been living there and coexisting with, you know, in that neighborhood for like years. So we, one Sunday morning, we, we decided to take matters in our own hands and we put a small metal plate over their entrance and, and we put a note there like, hey, you know, you're, this is against the law. You shouldn't be bothering them. And, but that person went and like pried, pried the metal off. They took it all off and they made the, the entrance bigger and they were like throwing more rocks in, into there. So this person, I don't know who they were. They put, they put that gigantic piece of metal, you know, covering the whole entrance, you know, the whole, I mean, like, like, uh, maybe like six feet of metal covering the whole hive. So even if, and with all these screws, you know, so they couldn't, they wouldn't have an easy time of prying it off. So yeah, it was amazing that someone else did that. They took matters into their own hands. <laughs> Protected the bees with steel, man. That was yeah. cool. <laughs> so, um, when when somebody gets started, like a lot of people always tell me, like you know, I want to get bees and I'm going to get like four hives, and I'm like, I don't know if that's, re-. you know, I've never kept bees, so I don't want to, you know, rain on anybody's parade or anything. I'm like, I don't know if that's, so. and then usually you get, well, like so you get at least two, and I'm thinking like they're not ducks, like you know, if you get ducks, you would want at least two because they have company, but a single hive has a bunch of bees in it. So would you say like a new beekeeper is better off getting like a single hive to start out with than like twenty? <laughs> Well, definitely, you don't want to start with 20. I mean, that's, that's going to be overwhelming, especially if you don't know what you're doing. Um, we started out with one hive, but I think it's better to start out with two because okay. say, that, say that one of your hives has a problem. Say you lose a queen. If the other hive has, like, you know, the brood, the babies, the eggs, you could take that frame out and put it into the queenless hive, and they'll create a new queen. So, you know, you could remedy, you know, certain situations by having another hive. Two or is say, one, one is none. Correct, exactly. That's what you always say. And so, um, and, or say that that other hive, you know, there's, they don't have um, as many honey stores. You could take some honey stores from the other hive, you know, and supplement that, that weaker hive. And, and also, you know, I have two hives right now, but they are completely different. They are side by side. They have, you know, they forage in the same area, but they're, they're different. And so I think, you know, by having two hives with, you know, like different personalities, you're, you're the learning curve. It's, it's, it's a much um, flatter learning curve because you'll learn more. You'll learn faster with, with having two hives and observing them. That's, that's the key. You, you'll learn about um, bees faster by having two hives rather than one. And because if you, when I had one hive, I thought, oh, all bees are the same. No, they're not. Ah, you, you yeah. they'll, they'll be side by side. They're not the same. Yeah, and it makes sense because, like, this is, like, where things are the same, but, like, kind of the same thing. I know that whenever I would be working on a car or something, and if I took something mm-hmm. apart and I was like, a teenager, you know, you didn't go back together, right? If I knew somebody else that had a 75 Monte Carlo... You know, uh-huh. then I then I'd want to go look at it, and then I could, you know, if I didn't even if I didn't have a book, I could go, okay, this is where this piece goes. Exactly. So this is kind of the opposite. Like you can see the difference in behavior because if you have one hive and no experience, mm-hmm. you have no frame of reference. You don't know exactly. what healthy or aggressive or yep. any of these terms I hear thrown around really means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. That makes sense. Oh, that's another tip too. When when someone gets a new hive, they have to absolutely specify. I want a gentle hive. So that's another tip right there. Because, mm. I mean, there are different strains of bees. And oh, yeah. I guess then my question is, why the hell would anybody want aggressive bees? I don't know personally. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. 
um, it's 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 funny because I've heard all these stories. You know, I, do they have do they have African bees down by where you are? Yeah, we're starting to see some influx of them when we were in Texas versus where we yeah. are now. There were more. When I was in Panama, there was it was more likely that a hive would be Africanized than Ooh. you know not Africanized, and um, we often would have swarms congregate in places, and they would call in. Basically, we called the guy the Ghostbuster guy uh, oh, yeah. to come in and, and basically kill them because they were considered yeah. so dangerous. But we don't have we don't have a huge problem with them yet, but they seem to be moving north. Yeah, yeah, it's. It's. I mean, I've read these stories about. There was this guy. I can't remember where he was, Mississippi or Georgia. He was driving like a bulldozer or something, something like that. And there was this hive, and he didn't know it, and he like knocked it over. And you know, they're those bees are like you know hair trigger temper. Just attacked him. They killed him. Yeah, and they don't they don't quit. I mean, like I watched a mm-hmm. National Geographic special on them, and they were talking about how like if you had a hive of bees pissed off with you and went into water and basically stayed under for a while, they would kind of fly around and go away. But these things will just like friggin' like they know you're in there and they'll wait for your ass to come out. Yeah, and then they'll just envelop you. You know, the only thing you can do is run. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I read some advice. They said, oh, if you're getting chased by African bees, get it in closed space. You you and if there's some bees get in there, you're just gonna have to live with it because it's better than being out there. Yeah, you know. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I think Hollywood's maybe exceptionalized them a little bit with the movie. You know, remember the '70s bee movies and the bees are gonna kill the whole world or whatever. But <laughs> it's a serious problem if you if you upset a swarm of Africanized bees. But, I mean, you're not going to order bees and get that here. And No, no. What's funny is you go over to Africa, where the gene base is, and they're working with these you know, true African bees, and they're no different than working with our bees. The problem came when they took the – because they had a great – the African bee has a great vigor. Oh, you yeah. Know, and they really Very. strong, really good honey mm-hmm. producers. They yeah. brought them over here, and then when they, when they hybridized, those are the psychopathic bees, is, is the hybrid bee. Because uh, I had to research that because it was always like – I'd see all these videos of people in Africa keeping bees, and they're like – and they, I remember one, Bill Molson was in. He asked the guy, you know, are they killer bees? And the guy was like nonchalant. Like they don't look like they're killing anybody, do they? <laughs> and, and I was like, well, that makes sense. Then why the hell are these bees psychopaths? And apparently when you know brand A and brand B of B create brand C, brand C is freaking nuts. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like GMO work combining all this crazy stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so you did recommend maybe a couple hives, and that's that's a new perspective, and that's why I have people like you on the show that have kind of been there and done that, especially in areas where, where I don't know. But um, So it, it, it does sound like something worthwhile for people to do, but they shouldn't underestimate the work involved, even though it's kind of segmented out. It's not right. everyday work, but the work is there when it's there. Oh, yeah, and, 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 the, and the boxes with the honey. I mean, not... You know, this is this does not apply to the top bar hives, but having to lift those boxes, they're heavy. They're, mm. They are heavy, so that's a lot of the work too. Yeah. How much honey, without like pushing the bee to like something stupid or taking too much, you know, from a from a standard hive, would you expect that a person could expect to produce? And I know there's variables, so you know, give it a swag, a statistical wild ass guess. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I'm trying to. Okay, so people know, or people should know, the first year you have them, you're not going to get any honey. You know, you have to wait until the next year. So that's one thing to consider. But I'm trying to think about all our harvest. I would say from the first, you know, a, a typical harvest, maybe at least five gallons, at least five gallons of honey. Um, yeah, my bees this year. That's at least five hours of work too. Is the other way to think about that. Prob- yeah, probably. Right? Yeah. But I can make a lot of mead with five gallons of honey. I, I'm, oh. I'm digging that number. I'm a, kind of a mead guy. I, oh. you know, and I, I've never actually been able to make mead yet with raw honey, and I think there might be a difference, and I'm going to have to try that. Someone was telling me that the monks of old time used to make. Um, mead with the wax cappings which is the stuff that you cut off the frames huh. I've, been, I've been looking into that because i've been wanting to make mead too huh that sounds yeah uh, i don't know about that because you're going to need the sugar that's the whole point that's yeah. that's what ferments i don't know about you know maybe they used uh maybe they didn't extract it very well and that's how they got the last uh, maybe like so there's like honey congealed to there and then you if you heat that 
that your honey's going to wow, I think I got this now. Yeah, this is how you would do that. All right, so you uh-huh. have all this wax with honey congealed to it, like tons of right. it, as you're like big, huge, you know, monk keeping billions of bees. Yeah. And, and when you heated that up, the wax would float and the honey would incorporate. Yeah. And you would skim your wax and you'd have this honey concentrate, and then yeah. you ferment that and you end up with meat. So maybe that's. I'm spitballing there, but that sounds as good an explanation as I can come up with. Yeah, and, and imagine like all the yeasts that are probably that the bees have brought in too. Maybe that's what uh, they use to ferment everything. Well, and maybe that's it too. It's like a yeast starter, right? Yeah, that would yeah. be another thing because back when they started doing that, I mean, mead is the oldest, uh, you know, regularly produced alcoholic beverage known to man, and they were making beer long before they knew what the hell yeast was. So when they were making mead, they just knew you put all this honey in this place and it got all bubbly and then you know you had happiness after you consumed it so <laughs> they had no idea so if they would add stuff like that they would probably get a lot more wild yeast and they would yeah. get a quicker more vigorous fermentation the other thing now I'm going to my brewer mode nutrients right so like one of the oh big problems with making mead is to get enough nutrient for the yeast Right, there's plenty of nutrient there for you, but yeast has specific requirements. Mm-hmm. So that's like if you take a jar of honey and you put it on a shelf for a year, it's still good. Nothing happens. Exactly. To it. It's uh-huh. very resistant to being attacked. So when you liquefy, you know, mix it with water and dilute it, then it's susceptible to that. But then there's still a lot of nutrient needs of the yeast. And until the yeast ferment long enough and enough of them die, then the yeast can feed off the bodies of the older yeast. Until that happens, they need kind of a Kickstarter. So, like, my cheat is I always throw, like, um, a half a pound of malt extract in with my mead. You'll never know it's there, and it gives this uh-huh. kick to the – but there's – you can buy enzymes and things. But if you were dropping all of that wax coating, there's probably lots of uh, enzyme and nutrient there to give the yeast kind of their Kickstarter. So uh-huh. we may have discovered something today just – <laughs> and we yeah. could be complete. Just a disclaimer: we could be completely wrong about that, but you know it makes sense to me. So yeah. I want to like I think we've done a good job of covering like getting started with bees. I want to segue a little bit because you are okay. not just a beekeeper. Correct. You're, you're a chef. Yep, right? I've been cooking for over twenty years in all these you, restaurants. Yeah, you're like a real chef that like works in the back of the restaurant, comes out oh, and yeah. says hi, how you doing to the guests, and then goes back and they go, what are you doing? Get <laughs> So, like, you're that taskmaster and, and, and polite <laughs> chef. But have you, like, incorporated a lot of, like, the organic gardening and the honey into, you know, what you're cooking? Um, at home, yes. Uh, exactly, always. Because that's, that's just my philosophy, you know? I just, the homegrown stuff, um, the organic, that's, that's when food tastes, you know, the best. That's when food tastes great. And and it's always to me about like the taste. So yeah, I've I've incorporated that. It's harder, you know, to do it for a restaurant because the volume of food that goes out, you know. So I I, I haven't been able to do it at the restaurant, but yeah, that's just my philosophy. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So can you give us maybe a a recipe or two? Uh, what, okay. What cuisine? What vegetable? Or I don't what? know something with honey. Something with honey that's different than just putting honey in my tea. <laughs> um, when I the last restaurant I worked at, it was a, a Spanish restaurant, and we used to make this dessert. There's like this kind of soft cheese, and it's not. I'm not talking about cream cheese or anything like. There's this like this soft cheese, and they make this dessert in Spain where they take some of this soft cheese, and they'll take nuts. So we use like toasted almonds. And then we like put fruit around it. Um, I don't know, whatever was in season. We we would use like maybe some berries or raspberries, and then we'd like drizzle honey over it. And I kept that dessert on the menu. I could not take that dessert off because people would be like, "Where's that? Where's that melimato? Where's that? You know, you can't take that away." You know, and I tried switching out the cheese. Oh my God, these people. They don't want. They want what they want. You know, <laughs> God, you can't. I can't make changes. You know. Yeah. I just had to have the same thing. You know. So okay. yeah, that's a, that's a simple recipe right there. Um, yeah, that or God, I don't know. I have all these recipes, but they're sort of you know complicated. So I don't know if I could pull them off the top of my tip of my tongue here. So let's switch a little bit to your gardening. So you've got the bees, but you've got this great garden as well. And what are some of the things you, you, you know, really enjoy growing? Oh, my God. I had so many fava beans. Oh. I, 
Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I lived in a coastal area, so I don't get the heat. Yeah. Most people do. My, my, if I get 80s, that's, that's really, that's sort of rare. So when I first put my garden in, what did I try to grow? I tried to grow okra. I tried to go grow corn. I tried to grow melons. It, it doesn't work here. So it's like the cooler crops that do well here. So, um, favas, peas, I grow a lot of kale and chard and I liked, and I like a lot of like weird greens, you know? Um, so I was trying to grow this green called puntarel and I heard you talking about strawberry spinach. Yeah. I tried, I tried to grow that, but it didn't do well for me. So I don't know if I did something wrong with that or something. I'm not sure. It should do fairly well because it likes the cooler temperatures um, and long days. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it does like some pretty good sun on top of that, yeah. so that might be an issue. Yeah. So, and I have a lot of herbs here and artichokes and... I have blueberry, some blueberries, and I have some raspberries. And and when we did that show, the my ugly backyard show, we planted all these fruit trees here too. So I have a lot of fruit trees, but you know it's they're still on the youngish side, so they're not really producing a lot yet. So where exactly are you at? I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I know how you love this place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love the place. It's the government that that pisses me off. I you know I. Was- I I'm so mad at them. They 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 won't let us eat foie gras. I'm mad about that. What? What? Wait a minute. Wait. They won't let you eat foie gras. No. It's we cannot have foie gras in California anymore. Since July. Because it's cruel to the goose, or what? Yes, exactly. So instead of taking the goose and putting him in a factory farm and making him miserable, you feed him this luscious diet that he lives like a king until it's his time to graduate, and that's cruel. But a chicken farm that that raises a chicken into this this mutant form of life in, yeah. in like thirty six days that's okay. But I guess Kobe beef is probably on the agenda to get rid of next. Oh, because you can't be massaging the cow, and <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just cruel. I'd like to be that cow. I mean, yeah, they're they're taking they're taking away like our, my foie gras, you know. So I'm gonna be going to France soon, and and we're going to the foie gras region. I am going to fill up. On foie <laughs> <laughs> So, like, have they actually outlawed this? I mean, like, like, yeah. I'm sure they're not like searching people's houses, but like, you just no, can't no. get it imported. Nope, and we can't serve it in restaurants. Oh my god! Because that'll fix it. Yeah, that'll fix the planet. <laughs> I know foie gras. My god, jeez. Let's let's think about something else. Yeah. 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 No doubt. Yeah. So anyway. So um. Any final thoughts on, like, uh, people that are kind of like they want to do this thing, but they're a little bit nervous about it? Well, you're going to be nervous. You're, you are going to be nervous. It's a bunch of stinging insects. You know, it's a, it's a new skill set that you have to learn. But if you have a mentor, you know, and you have your gear and you, you observe the bees and you're patient, you, you'll, you'll learn it cause, because I didn't think. I was like, oh, I'll never learn this. Oh, God, you know. But I did, and now I'm very, very comfortable with the bees. It was, it took a while, you know, like uh, maybe two seasons ago, I actually had the thought, wow, I know what to do with the bees. I'm comfortable, you know, and it'll come. It'll come. But, yeah, but get that mentor. That'll make it so much easier. Any real quick thoughts on where to find a mentor? Um, let's see. You could, there's a, there's a beekeeping forum. I think it's called beesource.com. I think if you go on there and say, look, I live in this area. Is there anyone here that knows someone or are you living in this area that would be willing to mentor me? That's a place to find a beekeeper. And like, you know, a lot of places have beekeeping associations. If you um, contact a beekeeping association, you could probably find a mentor through there too, I think. Yeah. Okay, cool. And uh, you have a website where people can learn more about what you're doing, right? Yes. uh, It's urbanfarmandbeehives.com. Cool, cool. Well, Mill, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Jack. This is is great to talk to you and always a pleasure. All right, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spierko today along with Mill Apostle, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what
It's like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess And we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Yeah.